Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Roy won't take no or no comment sitting down. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Today's verdict really brings us little joy. The loss of Laura is no less painful today than when it was realized five years ago. Like any parent that loses a child, we can only move forward with the thoughts of what might have been. There's um, Clayton Babcock talking about his daughter and the verdict yesterday, the uh, first-degree murder convictions of both uh, Dylan Millard and Mark Smitch. It is always horrific for the parents to stand up and talk about their kids and talk, and then have to talk about the uh, the brutal thugs who took their lives. I spent a lot of time in the company of the French family and the Mahaffey family after the murders of their daughters and the trial of Bernardo and unfortunately Homolka was never really held to account. But the families suffer so horribly and then Millard in the Laura Babcock trial, of course, acted as his own lawyer. And I I imagine he, in some deplorable way, enjoyed uh, questioning Mr. Babcock. Alex Pearson is my friend. She's uh, my colleague at um, Global News Radio, Global Talk Radio. And uh, her program is On Point on uh, Global News Radio, Monday to Friday evening. And Alex covered the first trial of Millard and Smitch day after day after day. That was on the death of the murder of Tim Bosma of Ancaster. And she's been observing this particular trial also um, as a broadcaster and with great interest. Uh, I'm sure, Alex, it wasn't, wouldn't have been possible for you to just observe the second trial without having a lot of personal feelings after seeing the first trial on a day-by-day basis, personal feelings about these two individuals who've been for the second time convicted of first-degree murder. Well, they're garbage. They always were garbage. And because I covered the Bosma trial, I knew a lot of the evidence going into this trial, pretty much all of it. And all of it was covered under a sweeping publication ban. So it was a very difficult trial to cover because we couldn't talk about uh, what we knew, essentially. Um, and so that's what made it such a difficult uh, process to go through, because we as a media knew so much more than what we were being told, that, that what we were allowed to tell. And so we had to wait. And now, I think over the next weeks, you'll start to hear other stories coming out of what the jury did know, what the jury didn't know. And there's just so many complex stories that will leave a lot of people wondering, you know, what the hell was going on and why don't we know these things? But there were two trials that had to be protected from one another in order for really justice to be served. And, and I never doubted 
Roy, that this jury would come back with first degree. I know people were worried because it was taking a long time, but I wasn't worried. It's just that they needed time to go through both of the um, the accused and come really to the same decision. It, it does take time. So how long did you spend covering the Tim Bosma trial? Five and a half months, every day. Every day, seeing these two individuals, knowing what they did. Yeah. And 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 you also spoke with uh, with Tim Bosma's widow. Um, yeah, they, well, they, it's interesting in that trial, the Bosma, the Bosma Army, as they became known. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all sat in the same seats every single day. Not one person out of the media nor the Bosma family sat in any other seat. It was just a very kind of weird thing. It took on a life of its own. And um, so, yeah, we got to know Charlene. She she tends to to be a little bit standoffish. Um, but the family itself, Hank, um, his wife, the warmest people you can ever possibly think of knowing. Just the nicest, nicest people. Um, and so we all got to know each other over a series of months. And you get to know these people. And yeah. you can't help but feel very, very sorry for them. Yeah. You know, it, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the individuals who commit the crimes, who are, who are convicted, who end up going to jail, hopefully for their, the rest of their miserable lives. But the families... They have to live with what happened uh, day after day, week after month, year after year. And you've gotten to know uh, family victims' families. I've gotten to know them. And we should spend more time really concerned about them than the yeah. thugs who are going to be given every opportunity to uh, to appeal and, and, and appear before court uh, again. And Millard's got another case coming up, another trial coming up, right? Oh, yes, he's got his father's trial, and uh, that'll be in March. That's for Wayne Millard, whose death was initially deemed a suicide. But once Bosma's case really blew wide open, it was then that the police started to look at Hank's, or pardon me, uh, Wayne's uh, death, and then started looking at this missing person, Laura Babcock, her case. So it was really the Tim Bosma case yeah. that broke all of this open. But you're right. The families go through hell and back, and it's the, the frustrating part about the system and I've seen it time and time again, where the families come in and they literally, piece by piece, sentence by sentence, photo by photo, have to relive their child, their sister, their loved one's death. Yep. And it is raw and it is horrific. And all you can say is too bad because the system's not designed for you. In, in this country, courts are designed to protect and preserve the rights of the accused. But I, I can tell you with certainty that those who go through this process, who have lost loved ones, um, I, they they go through hell. I don't yeah. know how they go through it. And you know, there've been uh, many times where the parole board has, or the prison system has, told the victims that you must keep your victim's impact statement under certain oh, yeah. amount of time, or we're going to edit it for you. And oh, then yeah. the the accused gets to see the victim's impact statement before yeah. it's read in court. And he has to, and yeah. he or she has to approve of it. Oh yeah, the the victim impact statement. I know. They're so sanitized um, to the letter and to the T that it's almost, it gets to the point of why do we even have them? Because, you know, it's, it's the time, it's the one time that these people can actually tell and look at that person and tell them what they think. And they have to really kind of rein it in. And, it, you know, it's quite, it's quite something to watch. But I can tell you with certainty, certainly with the Bosmas and just from what I'm seeing with the Babcock family, again, such dignity, such like these people are are heroes because of what they go through and how they stand up and how they compose themselves and how they speak, and, and certainly with the Bosma family because they are so um, they are 
they believe in their faith. They're Christians. They're God-fearing. They relied upon that, really, to get them through. And there was never any speaking of malice or hate or retribution or any of that. They are above that. You know, they know that Millard and Smitch got what they deserved. And in the end, it remained about Tim Bosma. And this should remain about Laura Babcock. Because, as I mentioned, as we spoke about this yesterday, Laura really was the one that was forgotten in this. Wayne to a certain degree, but certainly Laura, because we couldn't talk about her for two or three years. She couldn't be spoken about because as soon as uh, Millard and Smitch were arrested, they had to preserve the integrity of these trials. And certainly when the Bosma trial was ongoing, a lot of it was about preserving um, the evidence and the process moving forward for the Laura Babcock matter. So really, she has been forgotten in this, and I and I hope her family can find some peace in this now that it's over. In, uh, there's something I, I know that uh, is disturbing you and you find difficult to uh, to uh, accept the way things turned out. I'd like yeah. to ask you about that, and that is the, there was a, an assist by a, a lawyer in Toronto in getting to Millard letters from his girlfriend, or to his girlfriend, letters from Millard way, from, yeah. from yeah. prison to Christina mm-hmm. Nudga. So what's the story there? We've been sitting on this story for two and a half years, and it's been locked and put away under a publication ban. And this has to do with a Toronto lawyer who, you know, this should tell you everything you need to know. His uh, handle on Twitter was Cocaine Lawyer, and he put pictures up of himself in his Lamborghini. So I guess he's made a healthy living off of who he represents. But he was initially uh, retained by Della Millard, and it is believed and it is alleged that he was the one that got these letters that were such crucial, crucial evidence in this trial. But it is alleged that he would get these letters, about a hundred of them, out of the jail from Millard, give them to his mother, and then the mom would give them to Christine Nuga. And in these letters is such unbelievable writing. In, in one of them, it talks about uh, Millard is talking himself that he doesn't want the jury to know that he's, a, you know, seem to think that he's a psychopath. And, and it gives directions to Nudgov how she should testify, what witnesses she should talk to, how she should tell the stories. I mean, it's a clear obstruction of justice. And these letters were going out of the jail to this woman. And there, there are an awful lot of people, Roy, who should be hanging their heads in shame. Yeah, that's awful. That's just... It is awful. That's awful. It really... Because had it been successful, had these letters never been found, first of all, and had uh, Christine Nugda followed the letters to the T, I mean, she lied every which way to Sunday, but had these letters not become evidence, there's every chance that these guys would have walked. Can you imagine? And, And by the way, this lawyer has never been suspended, penalized, law society won't talk. It is a shame... And it's a complete disgrace to the profession. And I can tell you, from speaking to a lot of lawyers, they're disgusted by this. You know, I'm getting a flashback. I'm getting a flashback to Carla Homolka. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, I know it's the law. I know that the the Millard had the right to defend himself. I know that. I know all that. But I found it absolutely abhorrent Mm -hmm. that a man who is already convicted of first-degree murder and there's obviously very little doubt among most people that he's going to be found guilty or that he committed the murder of of, of Laura Babcock. And yet he has the right mm-hmm. to create his own little private inquisition of Laura Babcock's father in the courtroom. That's just yep. mind-numbing. Yeah, it's not the first time I've seen a couple of people represent themselves and uh, 
They do so with the help of the court, which means they get a lawyer appointed to them at our cost to help them through. But Della Millard lost all his money uh, after the Bosma ruling. So he had very high-priced lawyers going into that trial and during that trial. But once the conviction came down, a judge froze the assets because, of course, if he's guilty of killing his father, Wayne Millard, why the heck should that man be paying for all these expensive lawyers? So that estate is protected. But he could have gotten legal aid. He could have gone through that process. And um, he chose to represent himself. And that, and that surprises me not at all because he's a complete narcissist. And this has never been about anybody else but Dellen Millard. Um, so they, 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 they plead not guilty, and yet they're playing with people because Smitch created a song yep. with lyrics many people interpret as being about Laura Babcock being yep. killed. He did, one about, he did one about Bosma, too. Yeah, and then Laura Babcock's former boyfriend asked yeah. to meet with yeah. Millard, who he knew only slightly, because he found on her phone bill that eight of her last calls had been made to Dallin Millard's phone when the two of them met. Millard told Sean Lerner he ought to have, yes. quote, no reasonable expectation of finding her. Yeah, Sean Lerner is uh, a really unsung hero. He's the one guy outside of her family that went to the police and implored them to look at this case, and they ignored it. So he knew something had gone wrong with Laura. They weren't even dating at the time, but he cared enough about her well-being that he wanted something done about it. And again, this goes back to it was never about Laura because everyone kind of forgot about her. She was an adult, adult still missing. So the police didn't take it seriously until Bosma went missing, was dead, and then the police opened up the cases and went, oh, my God. And they started going back and seeing all these links and then reopening cases. It, it is, this is a precedent-setting case. It will be one for the books in, in so many ways. And, and we will start unfolding things looking at the um, investigative process, uh, who slipped up, who didn't do what, where was, was evidence missed, where were the red flags, and uh, it'll be a real teaching case, and, and certainly the, the murderer uh, being his own lawyer, because there were actually jurors who had no idea about the previous convictions, and when they found out in court yesterday, uh, a couple of colleagues of mine who covered the trials in Hamilton told me that they, they were like, what? Are you kidding me? They were just appalled. Yeah. We have about a minute left now. The judge has an opportunity. The previous judges in this country for decades, for centuries, really haven't had. It's just a fairly recent law, change in the law. He can choose to sentence these two animals, and that's not fair to animals. He can choose to sentence these two to consecutive 25-year minimum, uh, 25 to life. Not, not, uh, what's that word, um... Oh, you know, it's a, yes, I know. I know. Yeah, so we're both we're drawing yes. both drawing a blank on the word, but he can choose to sentence them consecutively. Yes, and, and look, I, I I have every faith in this judge that he will do the right thing, and he will sentence them accordingly. Right. Um, the reason, you know, they they get an automatic twenty five. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, their life, they're going to jail for life. But yeah. it's, again, you don't, do you want these people getting the eligibility of parole so that they can drag the families once again through this? Process no, friend's no, family no, because that because so that bad. happened because Alex, yeah. that happened time and again when we had yeah. section seven forty five. Fifteen yep. years later, the parents were dragged yep. into the courtroom. Yes, I know it, cases that I did twenty years ago that I think oh they're gone and done. Yeah. And now just going into the parole here. Here they are again. The yeah. yeah, Alex, thank you very much. Congratulations on the new show. It sounds you, great. Sir. You sound great. And, uh, thank you. Thank always you sound glad you're my colleague. Uh, thank you. We'll, my, we'll, my honor. Thank you. Take care. We'll come back in a minute. Cheers. Bye, Roy.